Grab your Bibles and turn to John 15. Verse 1 through 3. Good morning. Glad you're here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So guide us now as we study your word, God, in Christ's name, amen. Hey, who told y'all to sit? You're going to stand for the whole sermon. Just kidding, just kidding. You can sit. I should try that one Sunday. <laughs> and I'll chastise you if you, sat, if you sit down, I'd get on to you. And yeah, that would go over well. This is my favorite chapter of the New Testament. I love John 15. Um, it's not greater than any of the other chapters. It just, it just has had a profound impact upon my life. Some of the most key things in regard to discipleship are in these words that Jesus speaks in the upper room. And He will communicate some of the most important things that not only the 11 need who are in His presence still, as they are walking or standing somewhere in the city of Jerusalem. And so these things will unfold for us important things about discipleship. And as this teaching begins, it's a, it brings to their mind, and they would have known this very well, um, vineyards. They would have been all over Israel. They would have known what they look like. And so as Jesus begins to speak about fruit and bearing more fruit and the work that He does... They would have visually pictured what he was talking about, and some of them might, might have even known um, the work that he describes here. All of this teaching is focused on a relationship with Christ. So it is absolutely important for us this morning for us to understand that John 15 is not a depiction of how one comes to know Christ in salvation. It is a description of how those who have come to know Christ in salvation, how they are now to live. And so this is more about sanctification than salvation. And so the details here again, as I said, are magnificent. Christ will talk about a vine, a gardener or a vine dresser. He will speak of branches and then in the weeks to come, He will over and over say this word, abide in me, abide in my love, abide. You must remain in me. And so there's some very important things that are here. Four key aspects of relationships. And so there is, there's an establishment of kingdom principles in regard to the church that is going to come. And so we're going to learn in John chapter 15, how do we relate to Jesus? How, is, how do we develop this relationship with Christ and maintain it? That will be in verses 1 through 10. And then in verses 11 through 17, he will give a depiction of how do we relate to one another in the church. And then as we relate to him and we grow in him, and as we relate to one another, we live in a world. So how do we relate to the world? And he will give a description 
that the world is not going to applaud us that we are in Christ and that we love one another. And he will, he will talk pretty extensively about that the world hates him and we need to keep in mind that it's also going to hate us. And so how do we relate to a world that functions that way? And as the chapter ends in verses 26 and 27, he will give us instructions of how do we relate to the Holy Spirit. So again, the, this, this setting as we come to John chapter 15 is not in the upper room anymore. As John 14 ends, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. So they leave the upper room and they are either walking um, to the Garden of Gethsemane or they are stopping along the way and he is teaching. The Jewish historian Josephus writes um, about a vineyard just outside one of the city gates in Jerusalem. So it's possible they stop there. And Jesus wants to, to give a description and illustration for them that is key for the days ahead. Josephus wrote about this. He wrote, But that gate, which was at this end of the first part of the house, was all covered with gold, and as was its whole wall about it. It also had golden vines above it, from which clusters of grapes hung as tall as a man's Height. So it's possible they stopped and Jesus begins to say these words in John chapter 15. The tone of John chapter 15 is different than the tone of John chapter 14. Let me remind us of what 14 was about. He told them a couple of times in John chapter 13, I'm going to go away and you're not going to see me anymore. And their hearts are sunk about this. He's told them in John 13, one of you is going to betray me. Um, and so they're asking, is it me? Is it me? And they're trying to figure this out. And so their hearts have sunk over this news. And so when you get to John chapter 14, he spends the time in the upper room reassuring them that their hearts don't need to be troubled, that all the things he's been talking about is good. So he's going to tell them he's going to give them the, his peace. And if he, go away, if he goes away, he's going to come back again. And while he's away, he's getting ready a place so that we would go and they would be able to go and be with him. And so 14 is to settle their hearts. The tone and the emphasis of 15 is to not talk to unsettled hearts, but he speaks to them as if they understand it. And he speaks to them from a place of maturity. And he speaks about incredibly deep things that they're going to need, not only that night, but for the rest of their lives. And so we're going to talk about how do we relate to the world? How do we relate to him? How do we remain in him? And so first thing I want to Kind of, I've kind of built everything today around the word necessary because all these things are absolutely necessary for our faith. And one of the necessary things we need to begin to see is Jesus is really transitioning in a big way now in John chapter 15, the kingdom principles of the church. Not that he hasn't been talking about those, but we must now begin to see things not in regard to just Israel, but we need to begin to see things in regard to the church. That these are specific things that he is calling the church to walk in. And so again, the aim of this is he is talking to believers. He is not talking to unbelievers. He is not dealing with the religious leaders anymore. He is talking to 11 men who are going to be the influencers in the early years of the church. They are already in relationship with him, and so he is going to encourage them. And so to build their expectations of what the kingdom principles are going to be, he shares with them, this is what it looks like to be a productive Christ follower in what is going to come. Man, this is how you are to live and this is the way that you are to teach men and women going forward 
how to walk with me. And it begins the text by emphasizing the vine, which is himself. He is the vine. He talks about the gardener. Your translation may say gardener, vine dresser. I don't know what else it might say, but it's a picture of one who works in the garden to take care of the grapes and the vine and everything that is there. And so he pictures the father. The father is the vine dresser and the gardener, who is, by the way, love this. And we're going to talk in detail in just a moment. I love the reality that the father is ever at work. We talk about the spirit ever at work. Jesus says here, my father is always at work in his garden, which is the church. He is always at work, working in the lives of his people. And then he will speak about the branches, which is us. Where we get our life from the vine, the source of life, Jesus himself. So the main emphasis of John 15 is relationship. And he begins it by establishing the most important relationship. And that is our relationship with Christ and remaining in Him and finding Him to be the very source of our lives. And it's important for us to, to stop and think this through. And to put, as my father, as I've said before, my dad used to say, put your thinking cap on. Think. Be ready to think and think things through. Come to a place of understanding what is being taught here. So let's do that. Y'all ready? Put it on, put it on, put it on, okay? Get it on. And so let's get this together. Let's talk now, secondly, about the necessary connection that we must have to Christ the vine. This is the seventh and last I am statement in the Gospel of John. And so he begins in verse 1 by saying, I am the true vine. This word true in the Greek Listen to these words. If you're taking notes, write these down. These are important words. When he says, I am the true vine, not the first time he has said this in the Gospel of John, but this word in the Greek means genuine. I am the genuine vine. I am the real vine. I am the original vine. I am the supreme vine. That's what this word means. Great depth to this Greek word. So I'm the genuine vine. Where you get life, I'm the real vine, I'm the only real vine, I'm the reality, I'm the original vine that gives life, and I am the supreme vine. Through the gospel, he's been saying this over and over. In John 1, verse 9, it says, the true light, same word, true. The genuine, the original, the supreme light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you, listen to the phrase Jesus uses, the true, the genuine, real, original bread from heaven. John 6, 55, he uses the word again twice, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, the original, the truth. And then the writer of Hebrews captures this and gets into the place where he says, listen, here's the reality also about Jesus. Hebrews 8, verse 2, 1 and 2. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, and the true, the original, the divine one, the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Christ 
is the only genuine one. He is all in all in everything that is good and righteous. And so this points to the truth that he is not like false lights and temporary lights. He is not like the manna of the Old Testament. That if you remember, if you kept it next day, what, what did it do? It spoiled. He wasn't like that where it ended. He is the original bread that never spoils, that never fades away. It always gives life to those who eat it. He's also the genuine reality of the temporary substances and the temporary pictures of the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of everyone. And He's not some temporary grapevine that's here in this season and fades away. He is the grapevine that never ends, does not die, doesn't fade away in the wintertime. He is always alive and always doing His great work in the branches. So again, let me just emphasize this. He is the sole one. No one else gives genuine life. Everything else is false. Everything else is fake. Oh, it might, for a bit, get us through a season. And then you know, we've all been there before. We, we work really hard, try really hard, and then we just can't find the peace that we need and the life that we need. So maybe we go somewhere else and we try there and, and, then, and then sometimes we go, well, I'm just going to try a little harder. And you get on the treadmill and you just, you know, treadmills, you just work and work and work and work and work and you never leave the room. Just stay there. And sometimes that's our life. We just work, 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 work really hard and we think, okay, this is going to get me somewhere and it doesn't get anywhere. And you know why? Because our life must be connected to he who is the true vine, the original vine the original vine. And if we're not connected to him, then we're going to miss out on life all the time. Now I want you to go to the Old Testament, Isaiah 5, just for a second. And I want to show you a couple places in the Old Testament where God talked about the vine and this work. Before we get there, as you're turning there, the Jewish people had this unique calling from God to be a unique picture of Yahweh and what it meant to be in relationship with Yahweh. And and they just really struggled with this. They, they failed in this um, so much. And so the prophet Jeremiah came along and he shared with them some words. The people, um, you're turning to Isaiah, but I'm going to share Jeremiah. So don't get, I'm, I, I am on board, okay? So you stay in Isaiah. I want to read. So Jeremiah records these words from the Lord in Jeremiah 2.21. Listen to what God said. Yet I planted you, Israel... A choice vine, holy a pure seed. And then he asked a question. So he planted you, you were pure seed, I did the work. And then he asked this question, how then have you turned into such a degenerate and become a wild vine? Got a little perplexed of, I've done this great work and look at you, what, what, what have you done? What, what are you doing? And then Isaiah spoke to the people in Isaiah 5 verse 1, follow along with me. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. Just stop there for a moment. Look up here. How amazing is that? What does God do? Sings over his people. Sings over this vineyard that he had planted. Is that not amazing today that God sings over his people? And here he says here, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked to it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked at the planting for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Here Isaiah describes the Lord planting a vineyard, desiring to see good grapes, but it only produced grapes that were wild and were ultimately of no value. These grapes were a false picture of who Yahweh it was and what it was like to walk in relationship with them. And so Christ here is not like that. He's not like the way Israel was. He is the true vine. He is the genuine vine. He is the only one who produces the right fruit, perfect, holy, righteous, every single moment, every single time. And the reason the nation so often failed to maintain their relationship with God in the Old Testament was that they did not stay connected to the one who was the source of their life. He had the authority to give them life, and yet they went on their own way. And so in light of that, Jesus now looks at the eleven right in their faces, and He says, men, you must stay connected to Me. I am the true vine. If you want life, you must connect your life to Me. I'm the genuine. I'm the original source of life. I'm the one that will sustain you, so you must stay connected with Me. The branches will only have life. We will only have life, for we are the branches when we stay connected to the source of life that is the vine. All through John's gospel, he's been emphasizing to us why Christ is supreme. He is the highest one above everything. In John 2, he is the true temple. He is the place where God dwells with his people. In John 4, he is the living water, speaking with the Samaritan woman. Jacob's well couldn't give the water that Israel needed. It was still around all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that bled into thousands of years. It was still present and it couldn't satisfy Israel, but Christ could. In John 6, He is the true bread from heaven, and only the Father could give that. Moses couldn't give the true bread from heaven. John 7, He fulfills the feast of the tabernacles. In John 8 and 9, He is the genuine true light of the world. In John 10, He is the only shepherd that can guide us to life. In John 15, He is the true vine. He is the source for everything we need. And so, let's, before we move on, let me just say it one more time. This world out there today is screaming for us to attach our lives to all kinds of things. Give your time to this, buy into this, embrace this, give your energy to this, and it will every single time eventually leave us empty. But I'm telling you today 
The true genuine source of life is Jesus. And he says, I am the original source of life. So you connect your life to me. And I will never disappoint you. I will ever be at work. I will ever be your source, even in the troubled days, to give to you and grant to you what you need. So there's a necessity, it is necessary for us to remain connected to the vine. Let's look at the third thing. And it's the necessary work of the Father as the gardener or the vine dresser. Look at the next part of verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. I find this absolutely amazing. I hope you do as well. Listen to this great reality. Jesus says there, my, my Father, Jesus says, my Father, I'm in relationship with the Father. My Father is the vine dresser. Jesus speaks here of a critical aspect that every one of us needs to come to the place to understand about His personal relationship with the Father. He is Jesus' Father. And this Father of Christ is active, working in the midst of the church so both of these words call us attention. The word, whether you want to say gardener or vine dresser, call us to this reality is that the Father as well is ever at work in our lives. So let me tell you what's happening right now in this room this morning. Right now in this room this morning, we have gathered in the name of Jesus and Jesus is at work in this room right now. Every one of us who knows Christ has been given the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Holy Spirit is at work teaching us. We've already talked about this in these weeks. Guiding us into all truth, teaching us all things, bringing to our remembrance the truth of the things that Jesus said. So guess what else is happening in the room this morning? Every aisle, every person, every family, every marriage, if we would yield our lives... The Father is at work as well. So right now in the room this morning, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God is at work calling us to the truth. The Holy Spirit is at work teaching us, guiding us into the truth. And the Father is going down every aisle and He's looking at every life and He is pruning. He is lifting up. He is at work today. So if you are here today and you think, God, God just seems to be not interested in my life at all as a follower of His. I would say to you, you have bought a lie from the enemy. God is ever, ever, ever at work in our lives. And our problem is we don't want to cooperate with Him. We want to stiff arm Him. We want to fight Him. We want to say, no, God, you can't go to that area of my life. But if we would submit and we would yield that, note this, God's aim, the Father's aim as the great gardener is that we would bear fruit, more fruit, and then in verse 5 and verse 8, we'll see in a couple of weeks, that we would bear much fruit. What does the word fruit mean? The word fruit simply means this, 
is that the Spirit, the Son, and the Father are at work producing Christ-likeness in our lives, molding us and shaping us that we would be more and more like Jesus, pruning us and bringing that about. And so this great work of the Father is one of continual cleansing and continual work in regard to discipleship so that we would know Him. And I, again, I just, do you see this today? Can I get an amen in a second, please? God so loves His people that He didn't go, okay, Jesus, go, go do your cross work, and I'm just going to kind of sit back. Okay, Jesus, you've come back now, did your cross work. Okay, Spirit, go do your work. And then Father's just up there going, okay, we're just going to wait. You know, the end of the church age is going to come, and, and Jesus, you'll go back again, and I'm just going to chill out. Abba, Father is ever at work in our lives, pruning us. The Spirit is ever at work in our lives. Jesus is ever at work in our lives. This is where you can say amen. Again, if God is for us, who can be against us? And again, the reason we struggle in our faith, it's not a God problem. It's a we problem. He's, he's at work. But we, we don't want to sometimes submit to Him. Now, we've got to deal with this phrase here for a second. And well, longer than a second, but we've got to deal with it. This phrase, every branch in me, He cuts off and takes away. And then every branch in me, he prunes. So we got to ask the question, are these genuine Christians that God cuts off from the family of God and throws them into the fire? No. If, if the Spirit of God has come to live inside of someone in salvation, you cannot lose your salvation. This, this is, that, that would be a bad interpretation of this in regard to um, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he takes away, would indicate the losing of salvation, the removing of someone, and then he, he only works on those who produce fruit. But he's constantly at work. But, so let, let's, let's understand, let's try to come to an understanding, what does he mean by that? Well, we've all known people like this. Who left the room just a little bit earlier? His, his name starts with a J, Judas. Judas is someone who was in and around Jesus, and yet he never came to believe. You would have looked at him, and they, even, even his brothers thought that he was in there. When they looked around the room, when Jesus said, one of y'all are going to betray me, they looked around the room. Nobody thought about Judas, that Judas was the one. So there are people, watch, this is, I wanna, and I want to tread carefully here. You can be in this room for the next 20 years listening to the greatest preacher on the planet. And you can die and go to hell if you don't come to Christ. So Judas is one of those that was in and around things. 
Matter of fact, Judas cast out demons. Judas preached the gospel. And in the end, he was lost. So this idea of taking away is this picture of in and around Christianity, there will always be people who like the things, they're moral people, they like the songs, they want their kids to learn about things, but they never have come to faith. And those people will be taken away. They, they are not in Christ ultimately, and they will be taken away. What is fruit? And this fruit that's here, again, Judas is a prime example. Y'all remember Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? They're examples of that. Uh, do you remember that Jesus said, beware of false prophets? There are examples of that. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, any kind of other group, pseudo that they claim the name of Jesus. Those are those kind of people who, who claim names, claim things, but they're not in the kingdom. Y'all remember Matthew 7. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then some in those days will say, Lord, didn't we... Cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And what does Jesus tell them? I, I didn't know you. So they claimed the right name, said the right things, did some of the right things, but they never believed in Jesus. And those people, Jesus says here, that the Father will be at work and He will remove them. And then the genuine believers, He will be at work. So this is a necessary work that the Father does as the vine dresser. He is at work in this. And I know you know this, but He is always at work aiming to produce fruit. So I had the privilege this morning to go to Tom Thumb down the street from my house and walk all through the fruit and vegetables. So I got some different things. Some of them are similar. Anybody know what that is? Mango, you better know what that is, orange, lime, lemon, apple. And God said, hey, let's make things, you know, we're gonna make, I'm going to make one kind of look like an egg. And then one day God said, okay, I'm going to be really creative. Let's make one that looks like this. And you know about fruit, all, all of these aspects of these fruit taste different. They look a little different. They have different antioxidants in them. They have different nutrients in them, different vitamins in them. And I want you to know this, that when God is at work, the, the Father is at work pruning us so that there would be fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. It's going to be a vast array of things in our lives. Every aspect of the fruit that He is at work doing is not going to look the same. And so... I'm about to go to tonight to another part of the world and there will be fruit there that we can't buy in the stores here. And I love to try it. And it's a reminder to me that when God is at work, the Father is at work and the Son is at work and the Spirit is at work producing the fruit of Christ in our lives, it will manifest itself in some moments. Those of you who love fruit, there's some moments where you're like, a banana is the greatest thing on the planet. There's some moments when a mango is that, and you just it just it just fits in the moment and the purpose. 
And God does that in our lives. There are moments in our lives as we yield to Him and the Father's at work producing this Christ-like character in our life. It's what we need in that moment. It's what maybe somebody else needs to see in our lives in that moment to encourage them. So the Father is ever, 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 ever at work in our lives. Pruning, developing, working on our discipleship and developing our sanctification. But we must be connected to the vine. We can't produce fruit in and of ourselves. We must be connected to the vine. And so the necessary work of the father as the vine dresser is critical. Let me give you three primary things that he does and that a vine dresser does. So I did a, I'm going to use a big word here and sound smart. I did a little study on viticulture. And uh, in viticulture, this is just the study of grapes and vines and how to work all that. There are three primary things that the gardener must do. Some of us have no idea how to grow things. All we do is kill things that we plant in our yard and stuff. But you probably can relate to this. Do you have a crepe myrtle in your yard? In the springtime, does it not just grow crazy, offshoots and all that kind of stuff? And you got to work and you got to shape a crepe myrtle. So that's, that's an idea of what pruning looks like in regard to things. Let me tell you three primary things that God does and that a real person who works in a vineyard does. The first one is simply this. Dead wood must always be removed. It has to always be removed. It has to consistently be done. You ever, you ever found a dead limb or you've had a tree that, okay, no leaves grow on this thing anymore and it gets cut and what's inside of it? Bugs are all inside, insects, it's rotted. And so dead wood must be consistently in a vineyard removed. So a person, a, a, a gardener will come in and he'll cut off little dead sprouts so that the prune branch will have more nourishment so that the, it's not trying to get water into something that's dead. Here's the second thing that someone works in a vineyard. The branches in a vineyard must always be lifted up. David's going to put a picture up here on the screen for us. Beautiful picture. This is a vineyard. You can see that, that the grapes are lifted up high because if they fall down on the ground, um, they're covered with mud. Um, insects can easily, more easily um, get to them. And so so they lift up the branches of the vineyard from the dirt so that it can absorb light. It can get the light that it needs to grow. And so the gardener lifts, he cleans, he prunes so that the, the vine can get into a better position to grow and to get light. Is that not what God does in our lives? If we're just laying down and we just can't get up and we can't move and life just seems to just get us more dirty and, and, and we're just heavy and we can't do anything. We need God to lift us up so that the Son of God delight and the Word of God and the work of the Father can happen in our lives. Grapevines are often put on trellises to keep them dry to prevent mold from happening and disease from destroying them. And again, look at that. 
That's a picture, such a beautiful picture of what our life could look like if we let God do his work of lifting us up. Does he have the capability to do that in our lives? Yes or no? But if the grapes are like, no, the vine's like, no, I'd rather be on the ground, then that beauty of the work of God is not going to happen in our lives. Here's the third thing that has to happen. Even alive branches, those alive branches that you see there in that picture that we saw, they also have to be trimmed. Even alive branches have to be trimmed. They have to keep from getting too heavy. Y'all know the pear tree right here in front of the church? You know the pear tree out here? Last week the north wind came in and knocked about 100 of them down on the bottom of the tree. If you were to go out there um, today, if we were to walk out there together and just have a very, very close, up-close look at things, you will notice that through the years, and I blame Mark Verlander for this in the first service, so I'll blame you again, okay, Mark, okay? <clears throat> Mark's been here five years, and he should have been pruning that tree. He should have loved that tree and pruned it. And he just looks at it and doesn't, hadn't done anything in five years. So what's happened over time, uh, Debbie Sisko's parents planted that, I think about 40 years ago, that pear tree. And what's happened over time, because it's not pruned, is, is this, is the limbs all, if you'll go out there, look, go out there and look and learn, they all grow down. Not, not any of the limbs are growing up. You know why? Things don't grow as well when they get heavy. And so even in, watch, even in alive, healthy vineyards and fruit trees, unhealthy things have to be cut off. It's not happened for decades, I think, probably with that tree. And so all of the branches have just been too heavy and they hang down. And so God does this even in our lives. We've all experienced this. Some things that God wants gone from our life aren't sin. Would you agree? Maybe just something that robs our time or robs focus. And when He wants that gone... And even though we're alive and he says, you know what? You'll have better focus. You'll have better family time. You'll have better this. You'll, you'll have better integrity in your work or whatever, whatever the case may be. If this is removed and even where we are alive, sometimes he prunes and he trims. Always for the purpose. Please don't ever think that God's the great robber in the sky that he just wants to take from us. When he prunes... Notice what Jesus says here. It is for fruit, more fruit, and so that much fruit would be a part of our lives. That is the aim of the Father. So alive branches must also be trimmed. So we're going to close with this next, next several minutes here. The gardener, the vine dresser, the father works with two kinds of branches. First branch is, in verse 2 there, first part of verse 2 is, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
So the question comes up, and many denominations even teach this and interpret this text here, is that this phrase, branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away, is that true believers lose their salvation. And that just doesn't fit with the teaching of Scripture. Believers do not lose their salvation. So I think a better understanding of this is this, is that these are people who think they are a part of the kingdom of God, think they are in relationship, and they are not. These are lost people who think they are saved. Again, just like Judas, Ananias, and Sapphira, religious leaders of Jesus' day, uh, false prophets. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And as for that, the fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. There are those who look like they are there, but they just love the world and don't really love Jesus, and there's never, there's never development that's there. We also know from the Bible is that fruit can be faked. Spiritual fruit can be faked. Again, let me go back to what I quoted a while ago. Matthew 7, 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Actually, Jesus says, you workers of lawlessness. Again, context matters with everything when we study the Bible. Judas is gone from the room. It is those, Jesus said a while ago, we saw in verse 3, you are already clean. He's already declared them clean. Even though Peter hasn't even denied him on this night, he's declaring Peter clean. How? When God, when salvation comes, what happens? We are cleansed. We are clean. And so as Jesus speaks about that, but there are some though, again, Judas is gone. He would be an example of a branch that does not bear fruit, but in and around Jesus and in around the faith. And again, Jesus here in John 15 is not talking to unbelievers. He is talking to believers whom he has chosen and he has made clean. Now Judas bore fruit, but it was the fruit of rejection. And it was the fruit of the love of the world. So authentic Christians, I believe this with all my heart, they bear fruit. Some people probably bear more fruit than others. Some people bear equal fruit. But I believe what Ephesians 2.10 says. Now listen to this. Important. This verse is either true or it's not true. Ephesians 2.10. We are created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. So I, I believe this, that if you are a genuine Christ follower, then genuine Christ followers will have fruit. Ultimately, those that do not have a relationship with Christ, ultimately, it might look like there's fruit that's there, but a careful observation is it's not there. It's just some kind of false words and false language. Now watch this as well. We can't tell that that's the case. I can't tell that that's the case with anybody in the room really this morning. But I can tell this. I do know this. I can say this, that the Father knows the authentic believers and those that aren't authentic. So the emphasis here is every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So authentic Christians bear 
fruit. And it seems clear that Jesus affirms that. What kind of branch doesn't bear fruit? A Judas branch. A religious leader branch. A false prophet branch. Sometimes people in and around the church can be in leadership. They can be given responsibility like Judas. But there is never any life in that branch. It's a tear among the wheat as described in Matthew chapter 13. So please hear this today. This is another affirmation of the security of our salvation. Everybody in the room this morning will have a season of their life where we struggle in our faith. Everybody will. And you can never take a... You ever... ever, um, Again, personal opinion. I think my wife's the most beautiful woman who's ever lived on the planet. But there are times in our life where I've taken a picture and I don't say that. Because a snapshot sometimes for all of us, right? You ever had a picture taken you're like, oh please will you delete that? We don't look good. Snapshots we can't judge by. So we, we judge and, and come to better conclusion by looking at a longer picture. And I believe that every true believer has fruit in their life. You can't just look at us. If you're here today and you're really struggling in your faith and you were to go, I don't have any fruit in my life right now. Don't just look at a snapshot. Repent of that today. He, he's calling us back to him to, to get that right and to yield back and he'll do a work today of pruning in the work of repentance. So don't let a snapshot Rob us of our security. This taking away here is not of an authentic follower of Jesus who may be going through a season of struggling with things. But this is a picture of a false confessional believer who's not believed like Judas. Just likes to be conservative or whatever the case may be. But it's not someone who's really genuinely come to faith. God is not going to take a saved person, a person whom He's put His Spirit in, and cast them away from Him. We are secure in our salvation. There are many throughout history who have claimed to possess something. Many people confess, but not everybody possesses authentic life. In Matthew 7, 15 and 16, Jesus said false prophets will be known by their fruit that will be present and true believers there will have good fruit. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, just saying and affirming the right name is not enough. Matthew 12, 33, Jesus speaking again of fake followers said there will either be good fruit or false fruit in their lives. And that fruit is in Him. So the Father is at work dealing with those who ultimately don't believe. And they will eventually be cut off and taken away. And as we close, he does this. The father prunes and is at work in the branches that are already bearing fruit. Look at the next part of verse 2. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So in this work, the Father continually, even when we are bearing fruit, the Father comes along to continue to work so that we would bear more fruit. And then as we bear more fruit, the Father comes along to even work on a life that is bearing more fruit, that that life would bear much fruit. In many of us in the room this morning, we know this to be the case. We've been walking with the Lord maybe for a couple of decades or 10 years or 5 years or 30 years. And we look at our life now and and God has been at work and we are bearing much fruit. There is much Christ-likeness in our lives. And so every branch, Jesus says, that even does bear fruit, even the Father is at work in that. That means that a branch that is bearing fruit still needs the work of God in their life. And this continual work is the continual work of cleansing. This verb prunes in the structure of it conveys the idea of a consistent cleansing that happens and takes place of sin or maybe just wrong priorities or misguided priorities in our life. And so the vine dresser gets rid of useless buds and crazy shoots and spots on the leaves and the vine and discolored leaves. Anything that will consume life from the branch, it must go. And so the branch ultimately produces more fruit when it is pruned and trimmed, connected to the vine. As a matter of fact, grapes, as I studied this, they grow more grapes the thinner they are, not the thicker the branch. And so the vine dresser knows this, that, that he must keep them thin so that the branch sends the nutrients to the fruit instead of just soaking it all up themselves. It is to produce this work in their lives. And so even in this life, the Father does the necessary and painful work of pruning so that more fruit and much fruit will be produced. That's why sometimes even in those that deeply love God, they go through suffering. What is the suffering designed for? What's the knife of the Father doing? He's doing the work so that more fruit and much fruit will be produced in a person's lives. And so this is a description that sometimes God does a work of discipline in our lives to bring about this great work in us. God is ever about seeing this development in our lives that we would be more and more like Christ. And so He does this great pruning work in our lives. And so watch this as we close. We are to work with Christ by yielding and submitting also to the Father and to the Spirit. And particularly in this context, to the Father's knife, knowing this, that when the Father prunes, it's going to produce something good. He's not, he's not pruning because He doesn't love. He's pruning because, watch, He's pruning not because He wants to take. He's pruning because He wants to develop and to give more and develop more in our lives. And so the fact that He is at work, no matter the pain that it might bring in the moment, reveals that He is ever near and He ever cares for His people. And so as our master gardener,
the Father is consistently at work cultivating the branches, cultivating our lives for productivity. And he goes to work even in those that love him. And he works to prune them. And the cutting on the branches to cultivate always more fruit. We're going we're gonna to come back to three. We don't have time to finish that. We'll come back to that um, in a couple of weeks. I want to go back to what I got excited about earlier. And if you'll bear with me, I'd like to get excited about it again. In this room right now, this afternoon, this can happen. In the middle of the night tonight, Wednesday morning on our commute, I want to share with Christ followers that want God to do a work in your life. I want to tell you the work that He will be doing. So we yield and say, Father, do your work. Jesus is ever at work in the lives of his people. Never stops. We'll see in a little bit. In John chapter 15. Jesus will say these words to these men. And the words that come to us. Greater love has no one than this. That one what? Lay his life down for his friends. Jesus loves us. And he will never stop aiming to be at work in our lives. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit has this great role to be at work in our lives. To bring to our remembrance truth and to guide us into the truth. He's a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. And the Holy Spirit is ever at work. And not only that, but the glorious Abba Father is walking through His garden, the church. And those that aren't producing and those that are producing, he is pruning. So that watch, that we would have more life, not less life. And again, I just want to remind us, in this world, you remember what we talked about last, we read this last week. In this world, you will have tribulation. But you take heart, I have overcome the world. And in me, you will have peace. Paul writes, Philippians 4 and 6 and 7 there, and you will have a peace that passes understanding. And all of that flows by being a branch that is connected to the vine and yielding to the loving Heavenly Father's pruning work <laughs> amazing father at work spirit at work the son at work developing us to have more life never less life the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come to give you life and life more abundant that's our God. And that world out there has no clue about that. And that's why we need to be alive to communicate the hope. So our response this morning is, okay, God, if that's the case, Spirit, Son, Father, ever at work, what is our response? Our response is, 
I give my heart to you. I'm, I yield control of my life, and I, I want you to be on the throne of my life. I don't want to be on the throne of my life. I know what that's like when I'm on the throne of my life, and it doesn't work well. And I need you to be on the throne of my life, and I need you to do the work that you can do. And there's the alarm that says, yes, we need that. That needs to happen, and it needs to take place. So our response is, here's my heart. I'm called, I'm loved, I'm yours. That's true. But then our response is, okay, God, have control. You have control. Let's pray.